I'd like to introduce you to a friend. I'd like to call a friend, um, a colleague, um, but also a man that God has used powerfully um, in the church. Originally under the ministry of Phil Baker at Riverview, um, and then later with Hayden Nelson, he moved over to Kelmscott Church of Christ, which was my old stamping ground. Um, so it was great to see Dave step in there and has just moved that church into a place which is now called Youspring. Um, and Dave and I have been sharing for a while, and uh, if anyone's heard Dave share before, you always seem to go away with something. I walked into his church, and God, he didn't know I was coming, and God prophesied. Basically, a lot of what's been happening was spoken through Dave before it even happened. And uh, I really appreciated Dave's openness to that prophetic word. But also, um, whenever he preaches, there's always seems to be something I seem to take home with. This last time I sat under your preaching, you talked about the Sabbath, and that's been pretty powerful for me, that time to just take a time to turn away from the things God's been doing and to reflect on his handiwork is called a Sabbath. And I remember that, and I do that. So thank you, Dave, for ministering to me. Um, Dave, his wife, Andrea, has two children, um, and uh, it's a privilege, mate, to have you here. Thank you so much. How about we give Dave a hand as he comes up on the stage? Dave, mate, can I pray and then let you cut sick and then you can just do what you want, okay? Is that all good? Whatever you want. That's scary. Okay, Father God, thank you for Dave. Thank you for his ministry. Thank you for his friendship. Thank you that we can be partners together in the things that you're doing. And Lord, as we invite him to speak here today, um, this is more than just a speaking engagement. It's a connection in the kingdom of God. And so as he shares today, Lord, we want to hear what you would have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Steve. How about we give Steve a great hand? Do you love your senior pastor? Two people love Steve in this place. Anyone else love their senior pastor? Tell you what, the very first time I met Steve, we were at the, it was my first day. Actually, it must have been about the 21st because on Tuesday the 21st, I'm seven years at this church. Incredible. Do you know the average lifespan, it's a bad way of putting it, the average shelf life, no, the average, <laughs> a senior pastor, the average life of a senior pastor will be in a church is three and a half years. So I've done twice and you're up to around 20. So you are a very unusual, very faithful man. <laughs> But the very first time I met Steve, I was at a Church of Christ retreat, and I was a new kid on the block, and I was on the outside coming in, and if you've ever been on the outside coming in, you're pretty nervous, right? And you're like, oh, like, and this was a bunch of pastors, so I don't know if you've ever been in a mix with a couple of pastors, but you're wondering, are these pastors nice or are these pastors mean? Which is kind of an ironic thing to ask when you're with a bunch of pastors. Um, but Steve, he saw me and said, oh... Maybe he was just like, so who was that odd-looking guy? Found out I was at Kelmscott Church of Christ, immediately took him by the hand, went out for coffee, and from there, just a great friendship has come. And um, we just love Steve so much. And um, you guys are so blessed to have him here. So that's really good. Are you guys ready to crack open the Word of God and see what God would say to us this day? Does anyone love Jesus in this place? In the right place. That's good. We're going to be in the, um, the book of Ruth. And... Um, this is a message I've only taken to um, another church in this church, 
And um, I've actually sent the wrong slide to them. You could probably tell what church I went to. Um, so before everyone gets distracted, my bad. Um, but this is a message that um, just just praying um, for this week and knowing I was coming here, just felt God placed this message. And um, I've taken to, obviously, another church. But I haven't spoken this at New Spring. Um, so I've always, like, God's, no, no. so... I think that it's something that God does want to say. I'm intrigued to see how it'll un- unwork and unfold. Um, but what we're going to do is that I'm going to just, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can um, open to there. If you have a app on your bar, on your phone, so you can get your phone open and like sort of do your app there. Um, but don't like Facebook and things like that during the Word of God, because Jesus is watching you. Um <laughs> It's true. The Bible told me so. Um, so I'm just going to do a quick recap. Um, then going to read um, 13 verses from Ruth, Ruth 2. Going to pray and then we're going to launch into it. Um, hand over to God and see what he would do. If you're familiar with the book of Ruth, um, there is a famine in the land. And um, uh, the very first sentence in Ruth says um, um, there was a famine in the land. It was a time of the judges. So if you're familiar with judges and um, what's happening in the, in the book of Judges, you know God's people are all over the shop. They're up, down, the left, right? It's pretty much like 2019. You know, God's people are all over the place. And um, what happens is that there is a famine in the land. And there's this man, his name is Elimelech. And um, there's a famine in the land. But he hears that, 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 that um, there's actually a better option in going to a place called Moab, which is a foreign place. So he takes his wife, takes his sons, and goes, over to Moab because obviously there's no food or anything in in Bethlehem where they are. When he's over there, um, his sons marry two Moabite women. One is named Ruth, hence the title of the entire book, which is called Ruth, and the other is Orpah. Um, Now what happens in um, Moab is that Elimelech, he passes away, which is really sad. Um, But the two sons pass away as well, which is making the story really, really sad. News comes to Naomi that the famine is lifted in Bethlehem. So she says, I want to go back home. And what she tries to do, because her two sons have passed away, she tries to persuade Orpah and Naomi to actually stay in Moab because they had a better option, a better future, a better possibility of getting remarried. And she knew that a foreign woman coming to Bethlehem, it was not going to bode too well. So tries to persuade her. Orpah actually goes back to Moab, but, Naomi, um, but Ruth, um, she would not be persuaded. She wanted to look after Naomi. And um, she would say, no, I'm, not, I'm staying with you. So where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people be my people. Your God will be my God. And that is the end of chapter one. And we're going to focus on the second act, um, which is in chapter 2. So I'm going to read from verse 1 to 13. Like I said, going to pray, and then we're going to see what God would say. So from verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is um, the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. 
She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father, your mother, your homeland, and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly of your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. This is God's word. The title of today's message is The Hinge that opens doors. Let's pray and then we will get into it. Father, we do come before you and we present ourselves before you, God. We present this beautiful church. We present this community before you, Lord. Father, we ask that by your beautiful Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes, you would undull our ears, that we would hear what your Spirit would say. I ask that this wouldn't just be a come to church kind of moment, but we would be eager to inquire of the Lord as to what you would say to us this day. I ask that you would speak in and through me, that you would speak simply, profoundly, prophetically, any way you need to speak, in order that all of us would hear you this day. And I'll ask that you, beautiful Holy Spirit, that you would oil some hinges, not just in this church, but in this community. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I love that little book of Ruth. Has anyone actually read the entirety of Ruth before? It's a great little book, isn't it? And um, one thing I love about Ruth is that it's taken eight books in our canon of Scripture to come to Ruth. You know, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And um, the beautiful thing is, if Ruth did not come on the scene, I would have honestly thought that you'd need to be some kind of superman or superhero in order for, number one, God to actually recognize who you are, or number two, God to actually use you in His redemptive plan of history. Um, Because up until this point, everyone I'm reading in the Bible, they seem to be larger than life. I mean, take Father Abraham. You know, Abraham? Everyone knows Father Abraham? Father Abraham had many uh, sons, didn't he? Many sons did Father Abraham. Funds and sons. He had many sons. I'm one of his sons, so are you. Um, We've all heard that song. Father Abraham, he was larger than life, wasn't he? Then you come into Moses. Moses, can you imagine like hanging around with Moses? Moses has a bit of a tricky start, but then he finally gets his act together, comes up to Pharaoh, and he goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh didn't want to listen to him, did he? Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let those people go. Moses said, well, you better let those people go. Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let those people go. God gives Moses a big stick, didn't he? Gets his big stick out, gives Pharaoh a good whack. Whack. Pharaoh lets his people go. He brings larger than life. Then you come into someone like Joshua. Can you imagine Joshua? You know, Joshua, he goes out, has the audacity, look at the sun, looking at the sun, looking at the sun, saying, son, don't you move an inch, you stay right over there. Sun stands still, no, no, don't move, stay right there. You know the story, sun stands still. Joshua, 
<laughs> you got Abraham, you got Moses, you got, you got Joshua, then you got Samson, you got Gideon. And, and I would have honestly thought, right, these guys are larger than life. But then you come to this amazing book called Ruth, which is about um, this amazing woman. But not just a woman. She's a widow. Not just a woman who's a widow. She's actually a poor widow. And more than that, she's not just this poor widow, she's actually an outsider. How many times, even in that verse, do you read and making reference to, oh, she's from Moab, she's the Moabite. She's, it's like the author is making a big deal of letting this, um, the audience or the ones who are reading this know, this woman, Ruth, she's an outsider. In fact, if she's an outsider, she doesn't really belong here. You read the book of Ruth and you sort of tilt your head and you sort of say, how in the world did this woman actually get into the story of God? Because it's like she doesn't even belong here, yet she is actually over here and God uses her life so amazingly and so beautifully that God takes so much care in actually being part of her life that, she, that God actually uses Ruth to actually birth the lineage of King David. And we all know that that lineage of King David brings about Messiah, our King Jesus. Amazing, this outsider, this little poor widow, lets us know that God is really big, but God's also really personal. And because God's really personal, he doesn't have a problem or an issue with a little bit of mess. Um, but we do, don't we? Even the church. Sometimes, especially the church, I've found this because I'm a pastor of a church. <laughs> We're crazy. Like, we do have a problem with, with, with mess, but God doesn't seem to. So Ruth, this poor outsider, this foreigner, marries this man whose name is Boaz. And they become part of the lineage of King David into um, the, the bringing forth uh, Messiah, Jesus. But if you look at Boaz, Jesus' genealogy actually lets us know about Boaz's mum. Boaz has a mum whose name is Rahab, Right? So marries his outsider, Ruth, who doesn't belong in the story. Boaz looks at, <laughs> looks at his mom, his, his name's Rahab. And I just like sometimes wonder, like when um, Boaz was a little kid, his friends come up and say, hey, Boaz, what's your mom's name? Rahab. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, what, what she used to do for a living? Uh, well, you know, she comes from this place called Jericho, and there weren't any women in Jericho. There was like maybe a couple of hundred men over there, and but the women were over there. They're only over there. Well, well, it's hard to explain, but she, she was a prostitute. And somehow, God uses not just an outsider of Ruth, but uses a prostitute like Rahab to come be involved in her life to such a point that he pushes his master story forward through the life of a prostitute. Rahab. See, God doesn't have a problem with mess, the same way we have a problem with mess all the time. So Rahab's engrafted into God's redemptive story. He's not intimidated like we are. He uses prostitutes, murderers, adulterers, insiders, outsiders, drunkards. He even uses Australians. Did you know that? No. I didn't even know this. He apparently, evidently, he will even use Docker supporters. <laughs> I'm not sure about Ross Light, no, anyway, but he'll even use that. He will use you. He will use me. We're all redeemed and we're actually used not just to sit on our hands, but God wants to be so involved in your life and my life that he pushes forward his story by pushing forward our life. It's an incredible, an incredible thing. And the book of Ruth reminds us of this. Because if you had to look at the previous books, you may have thought, mate, oh, I'm insignificant, I'm nobody, I'm a nothing. But I tell you this much, Ruth lets us know within eight books of our canon of Scripture, that God is interested, he is big, but he's also personal. 
And it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. God wants to come and change and impact your life to such an extent that you are transformed. But more profoundly, he's going to use your life and my life to actually bump forward and to push forward this master plan of salvation, which we are yet to get to the end to, by the way. So that is amazing to know. Ruth 2 is actually structured in a very significant way. If you've ever done any study, any exegesis, which is, is the interpretation of Scripture, you will actually discover pretty early on that chapter 2 is actually structured in what we call a chiastic way. That simply means that, that it is structured so it actually funnels into one point and then it funnels out of that one point. It's almost like um, Ruth chapter 2 has this hinge. Everything is moving towards this hinge, and everything comes out of this hinge. And you know what? Well, I'm not really a smart person. Steve's a lot smarter than me. But whenever I think of hinges, I think of doors. I think of doors. And what we actually find in this chapter is that there is a door that, how, that opens in the life of Ruth because of this hinge. And the funny thing is, the, the, the real funny thing is, is I'm reading this and, and obviously this last couple of weeks just been rereading this just in preparation of what's happening, going to be happening here, is that it doesn't seem that Ruth had any idea that this door was ever going to open up. And that's kind of important to know, especially for me. I come from a charismatic Pentecostal kind of background, okay? If you're new to church, you don't know what that means, you are blessed, okay? Don't stress. But if you do, you know what I'm talking about. So we get on our knees and we'll fast and we pray for doors open, doors open, doors open, doors open. And it seems really ironic to me that when we read through chapter 2, Ruth didn't even know there was a door there. But it seems to me that this chapter is letting us know that if we can actually focus on that hinge... Doors will actually open in our life. And I believe, and the reason why I, I, I feel to bring this message, is that there are going to be doors that are going to open up in the life of this church, in this community, that you do not have any idea right now. It's almost as if you can come to your prayer meetings and all that, and you might be saying, God, open this door, God, open this door, God, open this door. And the Holy Spirit might be whispering, you have no idea what door I'm even going to open. You have no idea where to actually direct your things, but if you actually focus on the hinge, the door's going to open anyway. That's really important for you to know, Steve. Really important for you to know. So in Ruth's story, this door opens because of this hinge, and she doesn't even know. So let's talk about this door. This door. This door is front and center in this chapter. And it's a really exciting door. It's a door that we will call the favor of God. Is anyone excited about the favor of God? Two people. Anyone else excited about the favor of God? You should be excited about the favor of God. It's one thing to have my favor on you or to have Steve's favor on you or even to have Phil Baker's favor upon you. It is another thing entirely to have God Almighty actually shower and put his favor upon your life. It is an exciting, exciting thing. It is an exciting door. And we know that this chapter is actually about God's favor because the amount of times that favor is actually mentioned. All the time. I'll just read it through to you. You don't need to open your Bible at that point. But verse 2 says this, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Verse 10, 
At this, she bowed down her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes? Verse 13, May I continue to find favor in your eyes? And for the remainder of the chapter, the word favor isn't necessarily written there, but it actually is an outworking of what this favor is. So it actually says the way that Ruth was treated. She was treated amazingly. She was invited, invited to eat. She was invited to drink. Boaz actually said, If you stay in my field, you're going to have freedom, and you're going to have liberty, and you're going to have security, which is actually an amazing thing, I reckon. Don't you reckon? Depending on whose field you actually stay in, there's actually freedom and security. And sometimes we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we start off in the field that we're supposed to be in, but how many of you know that sometimes we actually slip into someone else's field, and we trespass, and then we don't feel that? Maybe the Holy Spirit's just saying, all you need to do is turn around and actually come back and get back into the field of the Lord, and you'll feel that freedom and security once again. That's good preaching. Just so you know. Just so you know. She has freedom, security, depending. Young, 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 young ones. Tim, how old are you, man? 20. 20. You got 80 in your youth ministry. You're up here worshiping, worship leading, and all that. Dude, that, that, that's not common. That's not common. I know that because I used to do that. <laughs> So there's a grace in your life for it. With all of your heart, try to stay in the right field. That's where the blessing is. You'll be tempted to go and, and trespass. We all are. When you get tempted, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you're human. But surround yourself with good people. Stay in that field, man. 20. My goodness. That is awesome. I can't wait to see you when you're 30. My goodness. Or when you're 40. <laughs> Freedom, security. Ruth then goes to show Naomi the fruit or the, the food that comes from this favor. And then Ruth retells the story to Naomi about this favor. The author of this book is trying to get something through to us, like underlining, balding, exclamation mark. Like sometimes we might be thinking, like we read through chapter two, I'm like, I wonder what that chapter's all about. And the author say, are you dumb? It's like, I have just like, it is about the favor of God. It is about the favor. Of, the favor of God is incredible. It is amazing. Have you ever observed someone's life and you thought to yourself, how in the world did that just happen to that person? You know, it, it was like that thing just came out of nowhere. That door opened. It's like they didn't plan for it. They didn't strategize for it. Get this, they didn't even pray for it. They didn't even pray for it. But somehow that door appeared and it, it, it opened. And in hindsight, it, appeared, it seems like it was always supposed to open. It was always supposed to be there. I don't know about you, but I know doors have opened in my life. I'm sure they've opened in your life as well. There, there are some things that have happened in my life, and, and I'm going to be honest, I'm neither smart enough, I'm, I'm not connected enough, nor am I actually good enough for that to happen, but that door opened. Favor is what this chapter is about. The goodness, the character of God. This amazing, beautiful, wonderful, extraordinary, extravagant God who opens doors in our life when we don't even realize there are doors there in the first place. It's incredible. And in this chapter, there are two things that are outlined as I read through this chapter. There are two things that open the door of the favor of God on Ruth's life and also in your life and in my life in the life of this church. The first one, I'm calling it, it's the invisible hand of God. The invisible hand of God. 
Favor reminds me that God is working when I think he's sleeping. Anyone else been in that boat? You're like just living your life and like you're doing stuff and you're speaking and say, God, I mean, God, if you're God, where, where, where are you at? It's like, what's up? Come on. It's like, God, I'm, I'm good to go. Where, where are you at? Anyone else been like that? Yeah? Anyone there right now? I bet you there are people like that. But God's favor reminds me that he's working when I think he's sleeping. It reminds me that he's working when I'm not even praying sometimes. And get this, it lets me know that God is working even when I am tripping out and unfaithful living sometimes. It lets me know that. I'm really encouraged to know that this whole thing begins with this guy, Father Abraham, who had many sons. But you remember that whole situation when God actually initially cuts the covenant. He gets these animals, and some people in our world today wouldn't appreciate what happened, but he splits the animals in two, and he makes a covenant with Abraham. Funny thing is, it's only God who walks in between those animals, isn't it? Abraham's on the sideline, and God comes and walks. God is actually letting us know something very, very important right at the very beginning of this covenant, of this relationship between himself and his people. He is letting us know that this entire thing rests on his faithfulness and not on our faithfulness. That is the significance of God alone walking through those animals and cutting that covenant. He's saying, by my own name, I'm making this covenant. Isn't it good to know that when we stress out, when we flip out, when we are unfaithful in a way sometimes, when we trespass sometimes where we shouldn't be trespassing, that this entire thing rests on his faithfulness and not your faithfulness? Isn't that good to know? And isn't it great to know that our beautiful Holy Spirit just come tap us on the shoulder, maybe whisper in our ear and say, what's? and you say, yeah, what's up? You say, you just trespass in the wrong field, just get back. And by the grace of God, we can turn around and we can return. Isn't that beautiful to know? So good to know. The invisible hand of God. Ruth 2, verse 2 to 3. Let's break this down. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, as it turned out. How about that? Who was from the clan of Elimelech, as it turned out. Has anyone been to Carousel lately? Does anyone avoid Carousel now? <laughs> that place is crazy, eh? That place is crazy. Um, if you want to know what $350 million will get you, go look, check out Carousel. Um, I go there with my young kids, and my kids are little, so um, they're like six and almost eight. And um, so what's happened after the renovations is that there's so many people, and I've discovered there's some crazy, crazy shoppers in Carousel. Absolutely crazy. And um, so I take my kids over there, and they're, um, they're a lot shorter than me, so I'm over six foot. So my eyes are up here, their eyes are down there. And what I've discovered, what I have to do is I need to actually place my hand on them because I can see there's some crazy, crazy um, shopper with a trolley who's actually heading in our direction because I can spot them from there. Have you ever seen one of those crazy shoppers? Like, <laughs> seriously, someone's going to lose a leg in carousel, let me tell you. Um, but, but the problem is, I've got like my little boy Jackson. So I'm trying to guide him and, and, and try to do all of this. The problem with Jackson is that he's a boy, 
okay? So, so, so he, 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 he loves lights, he loves lollies, he loves looking at toys, and in Carousel, that is just over there. So he's looking here, then he's looking there, then he's looking there, he's looking there, looking there. So, so that, and all this time, he's looking here, looking there, he's moving over there. I can see this is crazy person about to come with a trolley. So what I actually have to do is I get my hand, and I went, and I place it on his head. Does any other parent do this, or is this like a dysfunctional Anglo-Indian kind of? Just me? Okay. <laughs> It works. <laughs> so I got my hand on Jackson's head, and, and I, I'm just moving him around, um, and, and he's just going over there. Uh, I have no idea what this looks like from other people's. <laughs> I'm just playing the movie in my mind saying, this might look a bit odd. Anyway, so I, I do that, and because I know there's actually some dangers out there. Um, I'll tell you this much, what I've noticed about my children. Not once, not once have they ever thanked me. For the guiding hand of their father through carousel, saving their life from some crazy woman with a trolley. What I have noticed is that whenever they see my hand reach for my wallet, man, they're very interested then. And I've got to be honest, as a father, I want them to be excited and I want them to be happy when they see my hand reach for my wallet. I want them to know I want that even when they're adults, I want them to know that there are some things that their dad can get them that they can't get themselves. I want them to know that. So I want to encourage that. But not once have they thanked me. Not once has Jackson thanked me for the hand on his head. But I reckon we're a little bit like that with God. There are so many times, and they are beautiful, when we see the visible hand of God, isn't it? In fact, we, we do certain things in order to see the visible hand of God, don't we? We'll fast and we'll pray and we'll, we'll do sort of things. Sometimes we get a little bit um, confused as well. So sometimes we might like give in order to get instead of actually saying, you know what, my heavenly father is generous. So I'm a son of his, I'm a daughter of his. I just want to be a chip off the old block. So that's why I'm going to be generous. Not in order to get, but I just want to be like him. Oh, everyone got quiet then. But we've actually seen that God does move. He does intervene. He takes delight in actually coming and interrupting life. He takes delight in actually letting us know there's some things that He can get for us that we can't get all by ourselves. But how many times have we thanked Him for the invisible hand? Knowing that more often than not, it's that invisible hand that is leading, is directing us. And sometimes it might be, it feels like He's got His hand on our head. But more often, His hand is just by our back and He's just moving and He's shaping. And how many times do we thank God for that invisible hand of God? Verse 2 says, she went out, entered a field that belonged, uh, began to glean. As it turned out, as it turned out, as it turned out. We can't read it in the English, but in the language, original language in the Hebrew, that's a little bit of humor. Ha, ha, ha. Not that funny, but it's supposed to be. <laughs> oh, Moses, that was very funny. <laughs> um, as it turned out, as it happened, as it turned, it's supposed to get our attention. Bethlehem's over here. The fields are outside of the city. The fields are not like the fields we have today. It's just this huge vastness of land, and each plot is actually just marked out by stones. No fences, just stones. As it turned out, she just happened to go into Boaz's field, and as it turned out, right at that moment, Boaz just happened to rock up on the scene. The author's letting us know that God sets things up. God ordains moments. There are things that happen in your life and we may say, oh, what a coincidence. Isn't it amazing? I remember the very first time 
that this girl entered into um, our offices. I was working, Phil was my senior pastor, was at, at Riverview, and, and I remember this girl, she first came into the office, she wanted to volunteer, like on this day. And I looked at this woman, I went, dear Lord, she is beautiful. My goodness, I got to know her. It's like every, I, man, everything I like, she, she is amazing. She's like strong, she's confident, she's secure, she's compassionate, she, she, she has so much grace in her life. There was one thing I didn't like about this girl, though. I didn't like her last name. Didn't like it. So we decided to do something about that. You know what I'm saying? On the 5th of May, 2007, Andrea Ballantyne became Andrea Ryder. Most amazing woman you ever meet. Now, you may look at me and say, oh, Dave, what a coincidence. She walked in there to your office on that very day. Now, you may call things coincidence. I'll call it providence. What a coincidence. It's just, oh, isn't it amazing? You just happened to be there and I was over there and, and we haven't seen each other in years. What a coincidence. Let me tell you what, maybe coincidence. More probable, providence. More probable, Providence. How did Ruth meet Boaz? What a coincidence. As it so happened, no, God set this thing up. This was ordained by God. It was set up by God. I reckon that if we are more aware of how God sets things up, I know that if I see the invisible hand of God, I'm going to praise Him, I'm going to worship Him. But if we were more aware of the invisible hand of God, how would that shape our life? There would just be this continuous thanksgiving and praise before God, wouldn't there? My goodness, what a coincidence. I just happened to rock up in this random Anglo-Indian from down the, down the hill, days preaching. What a coincidence. Yeah, maybe, more probable, providence. Seems to be that the invisible hand of God has brought us all here today, including myself, that he wants to speak something to us. He wants to shape us in a way that would not have ordinarily happened. And I'm going to praise God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to thank God for that. Anyone else? I've grown up in the church, so I remember songs like, that, that really were instructional, you know. You know, enter, the, enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart. I will enter his courts with praise. you remember that song? I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me, I'm not going to sing it, it's okay. <laughs> but if you want to know, like sometimes people struggle. How do I get into the presence of God? How, how do I meet with God? It is so simple. Thanksgiving and praise. That's it. What is, well, God, you seem so far from me. I seem so dry. It's simple. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. If you don't come with thanksgivings and courts, you can't enter. And if we are more aware of the invisible hand of God on our life, every single day I can wake up and say, thank you, Lord. You know, you went, for, you went for a job interview and you got rejected. Well, thank you, God. I know you must be guiding me to something else. I'm going to praise you for that. Maybe you're young and you're single and you see this girl and you go, mm, mm, mm. You say, Jesus, she looked fine, man. She go, oh, oh, Lord. And you go and you ask her out and guess what? She says, no. no. <laughs> because she can. <laughs> you go up to her and say, oh, the Lord told me we're going to get married. Shut up. <laughs> that is not the way this works. <laughs> but you get rejected. How are you going to respond? Well, thank you, Lord. You're still guiding me. You're directing me. That door shut, slammed on my face. And yeah, it hurt a little bit. But I know that if that door shut, there must be a door out there somewhere that you're 
going to open in my life. I'm going to praise you anyway. I'm going to thank you anyway. I'm going to live my life as a declaration of praise and glory to my amazing, amazing God. That changes everything, doesn't it? The invisible hand of God. The invisible hand of God. Second one is the hinge. And this is the whole point of this chapter. The hinge, so beautifully, so, so beautifully, the hinge actually comes down to a solitary question and the answer to that question is the hinge. So it's actually very good to, um, to um, kind of identify, um, especially if you do your, your, your study, you can actually see the way this kind of just goes in like that so beautifully. Here's the question. It's in verse 2. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? It's amazing. She actually adds everything in there that ordinarily would mean that she doesn't get noticed. It's a great question. And the answer to the question is the hinge. And like I said before, we can't be too sure about the doors that God will open in our life. But we can pay attention to the hinge. And here's the hinge, verse 11. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I've been told what you've done for your mother-in-law. Ruth asked the questions. Why have I found such favor? How is it that this door has opened in my life? And Boaz responds so beautifully. I've heard of your faithfulness. Faithfulness is the hinge that opens doors. Not just in the life of Ruth. Faithfulness is the hinge that has opened doors in my life. Faithfulness is the hinge that has opened doors in the life of your pastor, of my pastor, in this church. Faithfulness, nothing sexy about faithfulness, is it? You can't really like, you can't tweet it really. It doesn't look that great on Instagram. You can't put any filter on it. Like, I've just been faithful. No. You see, as a society, we don't weigh faithfulness. But Jesus does. He really does. He really does. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. If you've done any study in New Testament, the epistles of Paul, he has a favorite word in the Greek. It's called pistis. So what does that word mean? Faithfulness. That's what that word means. Faithfulness. Coming up to the 500-year Reformation, um, the celebration of the Protestant Reformation. Matthew Bates, W. Wanted to stir, um, Matthew Bates wanted to stir the pot a bit. So he wrote a book. Um, so he wanted to stir the pot a little bit, but he also wanted to add a little bit of oomph to this word faithfulness because it can seem a little bit insipid sometimes. So he wrote a book that was called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. If you're familiar with our church history and, and, and our heritage, you'll understand salvation by faith alone he inserted that word by allegiance alone faithfulness 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 what are, the, what are the words that we cannot wait to hear our beautiful jesus say to us well done good and faithful faithful 
faithful. Getting up, doing the right thing today, going home, going to sleep, waking up, doing the right thing again, living right before God, day one, day two, month one, month two, year one, year two, decade one, decade two, faithfulness. You started off well, how are you finishing? Faithfulness is really important to our Lord. Really, really important to our Lord. It's one thing to start off well. 20 is fantastic, dude. Mate, that is unusual, uncommon. Obvious grace of God in your life. I cannot wait to see you at 60. Cannot wait to see you. What about Paul and Timothy? I have run, I've run, I've run the race. I've poured out, I've poured out. They keep on pouring out. In um, the book of Acts, there's this um, situation which is really, really interesting. And Judas has betrayed the Lord and um, he's hung himself. And they, they're going through the scriptures and say, we need to actually appoint someone else to take Judas's place. And what's really interesting is the criteria by which they actually look at two possible candidates. And this is what it says in uh, Acts chapter 1 from verse 21. says, Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time Jesus was taken up for us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. What was the criteria? It was faithfulness. And there were a lot of disciples who actually left Jesus. There's this incident in, incident in um, John's gospel where Jesus is there and he's got his 12. But you need to understand, other than the 12, there were other disciples as well. And other than then there was a crowd. So there was a 12, there was other disciples, then there was a crowd. Jesus says something really confronting. The disciples leave. Jesus turns around to the 12 and says, you going as well? Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. Do you remember that story? So there were people who left Jesus. And the criteria is someone who has been with us from the very beginning to the very end, out of those two candidates who have proven and shown themselves to be faithful, will come the next apostle. There's something really, really powerful about faithfulness. But here's the deal. If you're anything like me, and I'm sure you are, because the air up here might be a bit more purer than down in Camelo. It's nicer up here. You know, oh, my lungs are feeling good. Um, <laughs> but unless you're a cyborg or something, you would know that faithfulness erodes, doesn't it? Because disappointments come. Trust me, there are times when it really does hit the fan, doesn't it? And you didn't see it coming. And it's not like, it, it, it's not like you've done certain things and all, like this was out of control. There are disappointments, there are situations, there are circumstances. People leave, people betray. It happens everywhere, especially in church, it happens all the time. You know, I haven't been around for 20 years leading a church, but mate, let me tell you, my seven years, they've been crazy. I, like, I used to have hair, you know what I'm saying? I did. I get teased by my little daughter. I say, hey, Baldy, where your hair go? <laughs> when she gets old enough, say, I'm a pastor, I lead a church, that's where it went. Um, but it really does. But what an opportunity today that if that hinge has been eroded because of something that was not your doing, and yet it was unfair, absolutely. Maybe the Holy Spirit is actually coming and saying, okay, let's pay some attention to this hinge that's a bit rusted right now, this hinge that's a bit squeaky right now. 
this hinge that, 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 that is, that's kind of like, you, you, you feel like sort of just giving up right now. You feel like you've been faithful, 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 and, and, and you come to the point where you're saying, what's the point? And the Holy Spirit will come and it will say to you, do you not understand? It is faithfulness that opens doors. It is faithfulness that our Lord Jesus weighs. It is faithfulness that will actually be the criteria. It is faithfulness that is so important. And I get it. I have no doubt that there are hinges that have been eroded this morning. But how about we present that before God and allow God to come and bring his healing, his mending. And from this point, we may walk out of this beautiful auditorium. And you guys have a great auditorium, by the way. You know, it's nice and warm in here. Our one's freezing. It is. You're going to freeze next week. It's freezing. But he can mend hinges. And he can oil hinges. And we may well walk out of here. And that grace returns to us to serve. That grace returns to us to be committed. Our prayer life is going to be reinvigorated. Opening the word of God and being faithful to scripture will not be so hard anymore. There will be this new love for our beautiful Jesus again because we understand and the Holy Spirit has spoken. Pay attention to the hinge because it's that hinge that opens doors in your life that you didn't even know were there. Is that okay? Let me pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Father, we do come before you in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for every beautiful person in this beautiful church. We lift before you the history of this church, where it's come from. The highs, the lows, the lefts, the rights. I bring before you Steve and Margie, and even in their life, especially on their life, as they lead, as they shepherd this church. And then as they lead and as they provide shepherding in this region, I ask that you would open doors. Not of his own doing. Doors that simply open because of 20 years of faithfulness. 20 years of faithfulness. Father, I pray for the statesmen and the stateswomen in this church who've been serving for decades, who've been coming week in, week out. May they hear your voice of affirmation this morning. May they sense your beautiful spirit as you are here so evidently this morning. Father, may they continue to set just an extraordinary example for the younger ones. And I pray for the younger ones as I'm relatively young. Sort of young. That's what Steve said, Lord. Deal with them. <laughs> I pray for our young ones, Lord, the next leaders. They would, they would take hold of faithfulness. As Jeremiah 6.16 says, you come to the crossways, look to the ancient paths. Look to the ancient paths. I pray your blessing upon this church, upon every person. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to